Welcome to Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Today I get to catch up with a friend from Washington, D.C., Kate McDonald. Kate is a yogi who's been practicing for more than 20 years and teaching since 2006. But Kate began with and continues to pursue her love of artistic expression. She's had solo and group exhibitions in galleries and museums nationally and internationally, including a two-person show in Tokyo this past summer. She was interviewed on NPR's Morning Edition for her work, receives numerous grants, and been a visiting artist and guest lecturer at George Washington University, Virginia Commonwealth University, St. Mary's College of Maryland, and the Corcoran College of Art and Design. I got to talk to Kate about her yoga, her art, and the place they come together. The conversation touched on lots of topics close to my heart. I hope you enjoy it too. Hi, Kate. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank You're you. You're in the wilds of Maryland. That is correct. Uh-huh. And how are things down there? Um, quite lovely. I yeah. live in DC usually, and so I am currently looking out a window into beautiful woods. Mm. So it's very nice. My wife very Wendy nice. really craves that because we're here in Brooklyn, looking out at action. <laughs> it's it's so important to like spend some time in green and wooded areas and i mean nature of any sort but yeah 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 well cool well i wanted to have this chat because um i've i've been aware of your artwork for for ages um we used to run with some of the same crowd in dc long long time ago and um you um you continue to to make fine art photography and I see it often on Instagram, which is how I keep mm-hmm. up with you mostly. But um, I don't know, maybe it was six or seven years ago, you did a show in New York City at uh, something with the word Fritos in it, Crunchy Fritos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that place called? Yes. Uh, thank you for asking me to name something I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coochie Fritos, though, I yeah, think it was. Yeah. It's a Lower East Side in the Essex market. Right. Yeah. And it's like an yeah. a alternative art space. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, but when we were chatting about your art, then I, you told me that you were a yoga teacher and I had had no idea of that. So, um, this is doubly fun because mm-hmm. I love when art and yoga coincide. In fact, I wrote a book called yoga for artists, uh, 10 years ago, I think now. And yeah, I should have read it in prep for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. You already know it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, and what kind of yoga do you teach? Where do you teach? And who do you teach? So, I teach hatha and vinyasa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I teach meditation as well. I teach at George Washington University. I teach undergraduates, and it's a one credit course. It used to actually be a graded <laughs> course, oh, nice. which is funny. But, I just talked um, to someone else who teaches in college, and it is also a, a graded um, course. Well, it's no longer in the program that I'm in. Now it's it's pass, and it's funny, it's not even pass-fail. It's pass or no pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's very good. So there I teach yoga and meditation, and I love teaching in that environment because you have the same people for you know, 14 weeks. Yeah. And so you can start at one place and go and you can have all of the philosophical and cultural underpinnings you want um, throughout, you know, the same time with the same people. So it's really, it's really nice because in the studio setting, as you probably know, I mean, or maybe you've experienced different, but what I've mostly experienced is in studios, it's almost entirely drop in. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have somebody who's been practicing for 10 years and also teaches next to somebody taking their second class of yoga in their life. And so to meet both of them is going to be very different than how you would approach a structured 14 week, you know, 28 class session. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, And is there a sort of criterion for who takes the class? Do they have to have a certain amount of having done yoga before or is it more a basic beginning start for everybody? It's basic beginning start for everybody. And, um, and of course I always have some students who have done yoga before. I mean, you know, and some of them are 18, they're freshmen. This is the first time they've lived out of their home. So they are very much adolescents and uh you know so maybe their experience was something in elementary school which i know you and i didn't have the opportunity to partake in right right it wasn't a thing um so yeah so uh, beginners they are primarily and in the way the class is structured is even if they aren't beginners that we start at foundations and my um uh, my early yoga was through Iyengar. And so, you know, when you do the level one, you spend a lot of time sitting and standing in Tadasana, you know, very basic stuff. But what I loved about that, and here's like, you know, a tie to art is it was while I was in, um, at the Corcoran, while I was in art school that I started taking, or no, maybe directly after it was directly after, I think, that I started taking Iyengar classes and what I loved about it was that it reminded me of a drawing class mm. because of the structure. So it was like, not like painting where you start getting into form and movement, but it was like the structure, the underpinnings of like, you know, just how to exist in space yeah. similar to how to, you know, create for or create a um, line on paper that, um, that reads that, you know, kind of resonates with another. And so my idea of alignment, you know, alignment is a very specific term in, in yoga and then even more within Iyengar yoga. Um, and although he would have said, and he said towards the end that it's an alignment of energy, not of body parts, but, um, that aligning the structure, the skeleton just was like, if you have a drawing or painting that doesn't have those underpinnings, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. And similarly with our, with our posture, we can't breathe well if we aren't aware of how we're holding our skeleton. Exactly. So. I'm having trouble breathing right now because I'm sitting a little high and I'm crunching over <laughs> to see the screen here. <laughs> I'm going to rearrange. I'm going to take uh, Sukhasana. Um, well, cool. Um, so, did you kind of follow along um, Iyengar over time? Like, did you stay plugged into that lineage? I did. So I did for um, 
probably like the first 10 years I did yoga, I was doing a yoga yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it and then, Unity Woods? In, is that the studio? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah that's the that. one. Do we call out specific teachers that we love? Is that Absolutely. what we do here? <laughs> Anything you want to say? Anne Wichette was amazing. Any of the teachers there are amazing. All of the teachers there are amazing. Rocky Delaplane, she does the yoga for back care there, and she was always very amazing. Um, and John Schumacher, of course, is the... the um, you know, the one that was directly under Iyengar that runs the studio and has for, uh, you know, how many years at this point? 30, 40? I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, right. Maybe not 40. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, a long but time. a long time. Um, but, you know, with, within that tradition, because teachers had to go through so many hurdles to get to a point that they were teaching. You would walk into any class there and have um, such a knowledgeable teacher, and so then it could be, you know, very much about like the the personality that you resonate with. Yeah, a while yeah. back, it, it it was a certain level of I don't want to say mastery, but you, you had to be plugged in for a long time to become a teacher. And you, and you know, more traditionally, it was like people who have, were teaching for a long time or studying for a long time their teacher would tap them and say, hey, can you teach class for me, such and such, you know, this day I'm going to be away. So it was a different different uh, way in from our teacher training kinds of machinery now. Right. Some of right. My, my teachers learned that way. And it was interesting to hear that, you know, well, I was just taking class and taking class and taking class and taking class and then... One day my teacher said, hey, you should come teach class now. So. And I think that that might be um, similar to like what I understood. Like when I did a teacher training, I did it to deepen my own practice and to kind of commit to learning more. And it was going to be like I didn't have any intention to teach afterwards. But the reason I did is like I kind of, remembered this thing that I had heard about Iyengar or within that context, not within the Vinyasa Hatha world that I did my teacher training in. But I remember that there was um, this idea that if you know something, you teach it. Like if you have a way to get free, you don't just leave, (laughs) you know, like you help the other people. Right. I guess in Buddhism, uh, they call that the Bodhisattva path, right? uh, You you stay and help. Yeah. Rather than just out of here. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm, um, my teacher, Alan Finger, calls the 200-hour teacher training an acharya program. This is like mm. what you do in order to become a yogi. Right? You study mm. at that kind of depth uh, so that you understand what it means to be a, a yogi. And then, like you say, then you have something that you can teach. Right. So, yeah, interesting. You're teaching at the university, and were you also teaching some special population before? I have a recollection of that, that you were teaching elderly people or something. Oh, yeah. I've done a lot of senior classes. Um, I had a chair class going for several years on and off there was like you know it it kept um kind of fluctuating the people who would be able to attend or not and um 
and I taught in some different, uh, like in senior centers, et cetera, um, for that. And I've taught kids yoga. I, taught, I used to teach like 13 kids classes. Oh, wow. A week. <laughs> a week. <laughs> yeah, 13 a week. Oh, my so, God. you know, you can imagine burning out a little bit on that because that's a very, you know, that is a very different thing that you're doing there. You have to, um, there's so much classroom management. And it's you're not that is the yoga a, sutras every time. Holy cow. It's like you, um, <laughs> you have to practice yoga yourself so deeply when you're hanging out with kids yeah. <laughs> and trying to, and trying to get them to do something. I mean, it's like, there's so much like, um, you know, patience and, um, wanting to be present for each one, but it's a group, you know, and, you know, making sure that the quiet girl in the corner who's doing everything and so hungry isn't starving because, you know, there's a, there's a, a loud person <laughs> yeah. that needs a lot of attention. And so he'll do anything to get it or whatever the, you know, whatever the case is. But, um, yeah, so, uh, seniors and kids, and I even did, um, I worked at a youth detention center and that was, um, that was a really, uh, wonderful class. And that was amazing because, you know, you, you might kind of go in with this idea that, um, you know, these kids are in there for very particular reasons and you aren't going to know what the reasons are. And, you know, maybe, um, they don't have a lot of impulse control. And so it might be a really challenging class. What I found though, was that they were so, um, grateful for like having an opportunity to do something that wasn't their whatever day to day was. And this was actually one of the very few moments that they had for, um, co-ed <laughs> interaction. And so they were on their best behavior because this was like a privilege to be able to do this. But, um, they, uh, and, and, you know, it's like, um, in this case, because especially, um, you know, girls in detention, you know, we know the numbers are very high for all women as far as being survivors of some sort of trauma. And with girls in detention, it's like 75%. Mm. So most of the girls are trauma survivors. So it has to be trauma sensitive yoga and to do it in the moment, like one of the very few moments that they have in a co-ed environment. So it was, it was a balancing act to make sure that everybody's needs were met in that situation. Well, touche to you. <laughs> Did you study uh, trauma sensitive yoga with someone or? Um, I did the street own? yoga training. Do you know that one? It's mm -hmm. out of Seattle with, I forget his name. Um, but that training is specifically, was geared specifically for homeless teens mm. um, who are almost always homeless due to being survivors of trauma. So it's right. it just trauma sensitivity as well as the, you know, special concerns for people who might be sleeping on the street. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. And so now, though, you're doing the university uh, exclusively. 
No. So I'm sorry. I, I am also teaching. I do one after school class with the, um, you know, five to eight year old set and (laughs) staying a little plugged into that. It's, I, you know, it's, um, they are my teachers (laughs) in a way that I probably need to like stay with. It's easy to teach people who want to learn. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So to, to show up and, and, um, and be present myself for people who have other agendas is, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good practice. Keeps me on my toes. Uh, and so I do a couple of studio classes and a couple of private classes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But you left the, the Iyengar specific, uh, path and you're doing your own other Hatha Vinyasa. Yeah. Yeah. So the, when Hatha. I, um, I started, I got like pulled in from the street into a yoga studio by like the owner who was just standing outside. She's like, come take a class. Come take." And she was like handing out flyers on the street. Um, and, uh, I ended up taking classes there and started going like daily. And so, and she started a teacher training program. So I, um, and she pushed heavily for me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I did because, you know, as I mentioned before, I was just interested in learning more about it, learning more about myself through it. Yeah. And, um, Svadhyaya. And, uh, so, but she, what I, what was, what I was drawn to at the studio was coming from my anger. I go into the studio at the first class. Um, I think in the first, like maybe a few minutes of the, it wasn't a Shivananda class, but all right, headstand. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm, you know, like in my head, I'm thinking I'm like from the Iyengar tradition. I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do a headstand. Right. I don't know if this, <laughs> like I had this idea that like there were so many rules right. around what and when and how, yeah. and, uh, to suddenly be in an environment where it was a playground. I was like, oh, I see, yes, yes. That's so interesting. Like I see, I I run into so many people because uh, we do a 300-hour training as well as 200-hour training. So we see people who've done 200-hour training somewhere else who are coming in and trying to find the things that they didn't get in their 200-hour training. Um, And my wife, Wendy, studied Shivananda forever then she met me and I was doing this Ishta yoga with Alan and she came and also found, oh, this has a different thing. I went from doing uh, stuff at Alan Finger's studio to moving away from that geographically and never being able to find any yoga I liked and like looking and looking and trying and trying and doing anger and doing Ashtanga and doing Shivananda you know, uh, variations and this and that. And then I found in New York a studio that was Yoga Zone with Alan Finger. And I went in and I was like, ah, it's like <laughs> karma, you know? Like right. I had to go on this journey to get back. <laughs> right, right. So it, I'm always interested to hear how people find their thing that they lock into. Yeah. And I, you know, at this point, 
I'm, I'm teaching meditation, but it's also, that is like my non-negotiable daily practice. Mm -hmm. Like that's where, yeah. And, and you, um, wait, did you mention, I feel like you mentioned something about meditation and now I can't remember what it was. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I teach meditation and it was about, no, it was about, um, Alan, no, Rod, Rod Stryker Mm -hmm. coming back around and being so into pranayama now and, um, and, and not as like athletic in his, uh, you know, what he cares about teaching. Yeah. He had such physical prowess as a, as, you know, like the classic Instagram photograph kind of yoga (laughs) that I feel it's really, um, I, there's like two whole topics here, right? One is Rod and one is Instagram. But Oh my God. Yeah, let's let's put Instagram on the table and come back to that one though because yeah. that is a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, because Rod has been uh, studying with somebody in India for a long time now. He, start, he started studying with Alan in uh, his early yoga career. And... Um, and then with Alan's father, Manny, who lived in South Africa, and then moved to Florida. Um, and so I knew him in the very beginning, because he was literally like a tw- you know, 29-year-old person or something when I knew him. And then, so I just got to see him after, I had seen him maybe 10, 15 years ago for a one-day workshop or a half-day workshop. And that was kind of interesting, because he didn't remember who I was. And I had been so plugged in with Alan at that point. I was like, oh, great, this clears it up. I know who my teacher is now. Uh Um, And then, um, and so when I saw him just recently, it was cool to see how completely he had gone into the deep, like what yoga is really about. You know, it's so hard because so many people who are on the street just think of postures, asana. And, you know, anybody who spends any time in yoga ends up ultimately realizing, oh, right, it's about this. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that was, that's something that I love about the GW classes, like that um, at the university, I have a whole semester, we're going to get to stretching our legs. However, right. (laughs) like I can tell you everything I want about the you know, um, philosophy and, and history and, um, you know, what, you know, what it is about, it's about calming your mind, you get there through the body sometimes, but that's not the only way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. And Al and I are writing a book about meditation right now. Oh, good. And, um, we're, we're targeting it at people who have, maybe heard about meditation through the whole mindfulness craze and to say there's more to meditation than mindfulness. And Mm -hmm. so it's been cool to write from this perspective, kind of like what you're talking about, like starting at zero, you know, this is what yoga is actually for. Right. This is, so with my meditation class at uh, the university, like 
I, you know, I think there are other meditation teachers that do mindfulness for the whole semester. And to me, it's like, mm -mm, this is the moment for the buffet. Yeah. Let's have everybody try different <laughs> kinds of meditation uh -huh. and uh, to find the one that they'll stay with because mm. it doesn't matter. If the, the one that you stay with is the one that you should do, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah. Um, so to be able to show it's not just yeah. mindfulness and, and it's not about a buzzword. It's mm -hmm. about like actually like, you know, exploring different ways to shift consciousness. Yeah. 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 Don't miss the opportunity to study with Alan Finger, Sarah Finger, Katrina Repka, Ulrika Norbury, Wendy Newton, Mona Anand, and myself at the Ishta Masters Program. It's coming right up March 4th to 10th. See ishtayoga.com for details. You don't want to miss it. I mean, this is a nice segue into um, the work that you've been making through the lens uh, of your camera, um, which is also exploring consciousness. I, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't help. <laughs> I, I was looking at your website and um, my phone wants me to do a software update. Go away. <laughs> okay. On my phone too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you have in your uh, artist statement on your website this little line, this line, I find joy in the deliberate receptive process of looking, yet trying to hold on to instances of beauty is an inherently sad venture because the fleeting sparkle captured is quickly gone. Um, life feels long and short in turns. I endeavor in my life and work to collect traces of these ineffable moments. I remind viewers to take time to look more closely at the world for flashes of beauty or clarity and to step toward the disquieting unknown. That's so beautiful, Kate. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's, it's like roomy. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I would encourage anybody who's listening to this who, who doesn't know your work to go to katemcdonald.com, like even push pause right now and go look at it and see these gorgeous photographs. They're quite something. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Thank you. That's kind of you. So talk about your art. Like where, where does, what motivates you? And I mean, I just read it, but. Right. Well, and, and I talked a little bit about coming from a painting background and a drawing background and uh, the joy that I experienced uh in those practices and when i say joy you know it's like um i'm talking about a thing that's unnameable you know from uh, like being in the zone um getting into a state of meditation those those sorts of things like when you um are truly aware and present so in drawing and painting those moments for me were through looking and so some people have a creative practice. Mine is more um, extractive, I guess, um, in terms of 
uh, spending time looking and recording, looking and recording, looking and recording. And, um, and I moved to photography because I had one of these like silly, um, duh, like, uh, uh, what's the word? The not aha moment, but the, uh, what's the word? <laughs> epiphany moments. That's yes. what I was going to say. But they, you know, one of these epiphanies that's also just like, well, of course, uh-huh. but I had a moment where I wanted to take my hand out what, of, of what I was doing. Like I wanted this direct um, relationship for the viewer. And, you know, I thought about like just how walking through the world with friends, I would just like point at something and, and want them to experience the thing that I was experienced by looking at it. And I was like, oh, oh, there's a tool for this. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so I picked up the camera at that moment. And it, like I had also, you know, been um, working in the library at the um, Corcoran, and so in the process of, um, you know, looking through all of the wonderful books that were in that collection, I came across uh, William Engelston, and his work is so much about finding little moments of clarity in uh, in, in the structure of the banal world in front of you. And so when I saw, oh, okay, this is, oh yeah, obviously this is something I can do. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, you know, I went running to the color photo teacher to ask permission to not have to take the preliminary black and white class because I knew what I needed to do. <laughs> yeah. And luckily he was on board with that. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. So one of the series that I remember you working with is um, clouds or jet jet streams, both, right? Yeah, yeah. The sky, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. What is it about the sky that draws you? Um, well, you know that it's there and it's not there, <laughs> right? Uh, fleeting. Like, fleeting. Um, did you have you seen this? Um, this. Um, uh, Netflix special now it's called it's with Will Smith narrates it and it's called the um, this crazy rock no do you know this the first episode is like an hour about air but you know so they've and they're interviewing astronauts oh. and it's about the interconnectedness of the oh my god Peter you have to watch it it's yeah. amazing so uh, everybody should watch it to help remember that this is a single organism that we are a part of yes. here called earth yes um, but there's some beautiful um, pictures from the International Space Station, and, and Chris Hadfield is interviewed on it, and he's talking about that really skinny, pale blue line. Hmm. That, you know, we think of the pale blue dot, but he's, he's talking about that little bit of atmosphere that means that we can all be here. Right. And, and you can walk to where you can't breathe anymore. Like, it's so thin. Yeah. It's so, so thin. You can walk to the top of it. Like in certain places, yes. <laughs> um, but so you know, amazingness. That's what I care about. Like yeah. having having um, uh, because so much of this is suffering. To be fully aware and present through that. Yeah. Even though you know, there's all of the suffering there's still beauty yeah, and, and tapping into that because I think it's our positive nature. That's actually going to help us if we're going to 
um, turn the imbalance that we've created around if we're yeah. really going to evolve and um, become stewards instead of destructor, yeah. destructive forces. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just working on this um, meditation series on gratitude, and I looked up quotes because there's so many quotes uh, from such a range of people on gratitude. And um, I'm trying to think of who who it was. I think it might have been, I don't know, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But um, this quote about how you should be grateful for all of the things that have um, come and helped you in, in your life, like there, that you, you know, constantly notice and be grateful. And since everything has helped you grow, be grateful for everything. So, you know, mm -hmm. to your point about the suffering within the whole mix, you know, that's a part of it. Yeah. Uh, I often say, you know, <laughs> the alternative is like going to the movies and you sit down and the film begins and there are two people and they're in love and that's the end of the movie, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> you need the other stuff right. for there to be a drama, you know, and um, right. and something grows from that from that challenge. But yeah, yeah. So, and that actually that reminds me of I, I think I was I was thinking about this a little bit in reference to um, how you how you talked about um, Ron Stryker's kind of evolution and his teaching over the years. But um, one of the teachers that I love is Eric Schiffman. And he similarly, you know, was very much about the postures and the body. And he came from my anger and all of that stuff. But um, I went to his last workshop because he's not teaching anymore. <laughs> because, you know, uh, I think hopefully he found a bunch of writing. And I'm, I'm hopeful that he's putting another book together and mm -hmm. spending time meditating. But he, his, you know, the workshop that I went to the lot and I went to a couple within the last, you know, couple years that he was doing them. His whole thing was there is no enemy. Mm. Like this is my teaching. This is what I can say. And this is, it's the truth. And there are some, how did he put it? Uh, um, ignorant brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. For some extremely ignorant brothers and sisters, yeah, <laughs> but they are our brothers and sisters. Like the like the idea that, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you know it's such an important um, teaching. And he was like, "We'll get to stretching our legs. We'll get to moving our arms a little bit." Right. But you know, here's what I want to say, and I'm going to talk for an hour about it. <laughs> right. And um, he was really focused on pranayama for a while, if I re remembering yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah, the. Um, did he, did he do a pranayama book? I'm remembering there's moving into stillness and then he might have done a pranayama book. I don't know. I think so. Or maybe so. he worked with Richard Rosen on that book or no? I might be making stuff up. Yeah. I you, might, you might have to I cut my misinformation moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries. We, we're, we are not Google. <laughs> um, I am definitely not Google. Yeah. Whether your politics lean to the right or the left, 
I hope you'll participate in my social democratic venture to fund Peter's podcast by the people. Crowdsourcing Peter's podcast lets me buck the system and keep ads off the air. I hope you find it valuable enough to chip in. You can do so at any level you like by heading to patreon.com slash Peter's podcast. Thank you for your support. Here's the rest of my interview. Some of the work that you've done has uh, definitely uh, abstract uh, foundations to it. Right? You're, you're blurring something or catching some very small edge of something. What's motivating those pursuits? Um, you know, again, I think it's just it's about looking and mm-hmm. what's interesting about looking. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's a, a thing, an actual thing out there that's an objective truth, you know? So, like, these um, interplays of color, like, you know, we think of photographs sometimes as, like, a document, and they aren't. Sure. You know? Like, I, I think... What is it um, of? Yes. Yeah, yeah. What is this of? Oh, where was this? You know, mm-hmm. the language that we know how to have a conversation about photographs in is sometimes... Um, it's from it's from a certain perspective of what a photograph is, and yeah. so if um, you know, in my background is painting, so if I'm looking at a palette and I'm looking at like, uh, you know, the some dysfunction of the camera that I think makes something beautiful happen, um, in terms of what the image is going to be, then I think that that's. More important, and then that was actually some one of one of my first interests in shifting to um, to digital cameras, like the artifacts that they left early on. Some of the earlier digital cameras left some really interesting artifacts. These mm. like crazy horizontal, not horizontal, vertical lines. Um, if you shot into the light, into the sun and it, and I like to shoot into the sun. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I would see these crazy things happen when the sensor doesn't know what to do with that information. Right. And so to be able to like play with just what the, the thing itself creates and, and acknowledge that there is no objective mm-hmm. truth out there or, yeah. That the the interplay of uh, my mind, the tool, the lighting circumstance in the world, and then the viewer is like uh, a, a you know a, a place where you can kind of dance and find some some um, interesting communication. Yeah, it sounds yeah, sounds almost like yeah. a, like a conversation that conversation. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So do you think about the photos you're, cause it's the, the process that you're describing sounds very intuitive. Do you mm-hmm. think about the work that you make in terms of the themes and the like series, or is that something that just occurs after the fact? So I try not to think, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, in the Touché. making of the photographs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I try to respond to something that I see in the world, be open to moments where um, I see some sort of connection or I feel some sort of connection. And then, so yes, in the editing 
um, I, I can kind of help construct something that's a little bit more cohesive, per- perhaps, or less, <laughs> if I want to go in that direction, mm-hmm. for the viewer, um, or for myself, or for my friend, you know what I mean? Like, just, but... Um, but then there's a, there, there's also um, this idea in photography and, and in a lot of arts that there's um, like a, a body of work and that um, this is my series on such and such or this is my series on the other thing or the other place or, or there are, you know, ways to make boxes around mm-hmm. um, groups of images. And I've always had a like kind of a feeling in myself that that's not what I want to do. And like with painting, I just wanted to, you know, make images. And then similarly with photography, I kind of rejected this idea that this is my, you know, um, such and such location work, or this is my, but, you know, I was coming up in a, in a male dominated field. I mean, I'm still in a male dominated field where that kind of structure is held up. Yeah. And so to do something that is antithetical to that, um, is misunderstood and, um, um, and not valued in the same way, I think. So, So from a practical point of view, it's, it's something that you have to attend to. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's something that like, it took me a long time to become aware of that my impulse is not the, the greater impulse in the art world or the photography world. And, um, and that, that, um, for myself, <laughs> I need to be aware of that as like a, a place where the world's going to push back against me and have the fortitude to make the work that I make. Right. And, and, and to recognize the value in that and, um, But I mean, I think what you're saying though about it being, but being aware of it from a practical point of view, when I apply for a grant, I try to create a cohesive group of Im- group of images because I know that the cohesive group of images is more likely to be read by somebody who's looking at images quickly. Yeah. I want people to spend time with images, and I think that the cohesion will be there if you want to spend time with it. Right. But if you know, if you're somebody who is on a panel, and you have you know, 300 artists to go through. If you can't see it immediately, then it's going to go to the bottom of the stack. Right. And so I've become more aware of that over time. Right. That that there are certain images to use in certain contexts. Um, And and, it's not even that that the the panel is, um, you know, being shallow or anything. It's just the nature of that particular situation. Yeah, Exactly. Well, I, it's funny because I was just, um, I just subscribed to this, um, alternative to Spotify called Tidal, T-I-D-A-L, and it, uh, Jay-Z created it as a response to like a lot of artists feeling like they were getting shafted by the streaming services. 
So he made it more artist friendly. And um, I got it because it comes with like CD quality sound. So that was like an appeal. But um, mm -hmm. I, I've just been like doing that kind of taking the time with things where I start to listen to something and they have these nice bios of the artists. So I'll be reading through their bio and I'll see that they worked on this and that. So then I'll go check that out. And then they worked with so-and-so and then I'll go check him or her out. And so it's that kind of like knowing, spending time with someone's work that uh, I think we would all love to do, but it's, it ends up not being priority or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. we're so superficial, which gets us back to Instagram, which is still on the table here. <laughs> right. Um, I remembered my thought. If uh, oh yeah, which please. which which was that this was another thing that when I saw Eggleston, it's what resonated with me about his work because I looked at a bunch of his books, uh -huh. and there and there were re edits of the same images in this book and that book, and I was like. Yes. Yes. It makes sense in this context and it makes sense in this sequence. And it's like this, you know, I don't know, the putting a box around anything is so, is just, you know, it's limiting, obviously. So, right. um, but so, and I, I think I was kind of characterizing that as maybe a painterly approach. I also think of it as kind of a feminine approach that you, um, it's not linear. It's this expansive thing where you're, you know, the images connect and, and there are themes and motifs that circle back around and it's not clear or beginning, end, time, yeah. space. But, you know, that's a, a, Eggleston was working in like that way too. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's kind of an underappreciated aspect of what it was that he was doing. Mm hmm. As far as like, he, you know, because he's gotten like major comeuppance since when I was looking at that in, you know, 95, like, yeah, everybody, you know, has come back around to him and loving him and mm -hmm. like, and, and, you know, imitating, but it's like, they're, they're missing some of the main juice of what he had. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, cool. Um, are we going to get to the Instagram? Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about Instagram? <laughs> Cause one of the things about Instagram starting with this, um, uh, like from the beginning of Instagram, it was totally photography based. Yeah. So it had, yeah. And, and it had the chronology bit to it. And then, so did you ever see my, um, the project I did called same time? It was a collaboration. It was 10 years ago, um, but it was, so it was pre-Instagram, but it uh -huh. was um, six people. Um, some of us were like kind of photographers and had, um, you know, that that's our background, but um, there was a designer in the mix, a couple designers in the mix. Anyway, um, but it was same time, 7.15. So at 7.15 PM every night, we all took a photograph. And then on Sunday, we all sent our photographs to the one guy who uploaded them to the website and then they were published. And mm -hmm. so, and then, and people like bookmarked it and would like, like tune in on yeah. Sunday night or on Monday morning and see like all of our, and so it's, so it'd be like a grid of six images. 
Awesome. For the week, you know, you know, six, 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 whatever. Yeah. And, um, and we had to put captions. And so like that was, so it was brand new to me because it brought like, here's what it did. It made me write about every single photograph in this group. It made me photograph at night, um, which I hadn't really done before. I used available light. So now I was like playing with flash or playing with available light in very low light situations. Um, but it was like, you know, Instagram came along and then everybody could like post their pictures, but now it's like you posted it in real time. Yeah. And I loved the chronology bit. And that's why I, I don't love Instagram anymore. I mean, the ads obviously are terrible, yeah. but, but the piece where it's not in real time is such a bummer. Yeah. Did, did you know that, um, uh, James Huckenpaller and Colby Caldwell and I were did, did this project called Five Things. Yes, and that's why I brought up the same time thing because yeah. I thought it would it would uh, like so talk about remind me about Five Things. It was almost the same premise. It was um, uh, well, five, every week five things that had had intrigued you, you know, during the week, and so it was this this posting this like almost like a a blog, but by five people together. And uh, when I moved to New York, I moved, I ended up in this community in way, way uptown uh, Manhattan, Washington Heights. And there were artists up there, but no one was doing anything together. So I thought back on that five things project and created something called now hear this. And it was that just what you're describing, like everybody make a piece of work at the same time oh and um, write what's the most important thing on my mind right now. And then we would post that as an online piece on the website each week. So very similar. That is so amazing. Yeah. I mean, is, the, are the, is the archive still up somewhere? I think so. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've uh, been on that organization's website, but uh, probably it's there. I'll see if I can link it. Yeah, you should link it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know. There's something about, I think the thing with Instagram now is it's really frustrating in the way that Facebook is insanely frustrating. Um, But if you you just decide to, to use it as that same kind of, like this is what I'm doing right now, or this really caught my eye right now, a lot of people are still doing in that, you know, mm-hmm. there is a lot of this using it as a marketing tool or here's my perfect life kind of thing. But, um, have you seen, have you seen any, um, yoga or meditation people use it in the way that you're describing? Like this, this <laughs> most important thing to me right now. Cause I like, I haven't. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have. Okay. Although I, okay. I do find way, way more pictures of here's me doing asana than I'd like to see. Um, yeah. For two reasons. One, it's, it makes everybody, reminds everybody that asana is yoga. And, um, and I don't know, it's, it, it sets up this whole judgment machine of like, well, how does your Nataraj asana look, you know? And um, right. so I, I, I kind of, I don't know. 
Those are, those are can, the ones I don't typically hit like on, you know. Right. Can I can I add a third problematic Absolutely. bit is um, that when you hit that like, as the when you receive that like, mm-hmm. that's a serotonin boost that yeah. tells you that you're good for having done that and having posted that. Yeah. And so, you know, we're we're all human and we need our little serotonin boost. Yeah. But this is one of the things I'll go back again to Iyengar. You go to an Iyengar class, they never tell you good. Mm. They never tell you good. It's like that was such a, you know, I didn't know until later that, you know, people will tell you good and you look beautiful, a beautiful practice and all Mm -hmm. this stuff in class where it's like they specifically didn't in Iyengar so that you were doing it to do it. To do it, yeah. The work is its own reward. Yeah. Yeah, no attachment. Yeah, but um, but then again, you know, um, there there is a lot of really wonderful stuff. Like you know, some of the sort of outcome of Svadhyaya shows up in Instagram, and sometimes, I mean, there's a, there's a little bit more than I'd like of people quoting other people. Um, you know, you read something great in this book, and here's what it is. Um, sometimes that's inspiring, but. I would prefer more of that and less awesome. Yeah, I would prefer more of people saying what they learned themselves. But um, oh, okay. You know, I, think I, that I don't we know. Ta- I love I love quotes. I'm yeah. so into people quoting other people. Like, um, I like my favorite book is Six Memos for the Next Millennium. Mm. You know, the Italo Calvino. It's a collection of his lectures, mm-hmm. and it's like to me, it's what's so wonderful is that he's talking about the values that he wants to promote for the next millennium in writing. And so he's going through um, classic literature and contemporary literature and letting them speak for themselves. So he'll use quotes from these things. And what they, what it does is makes me want to go to the source. Yeah. And so the first time I read it in my 20s, it made me want to read classics and nothing had made me want to read classics until that moment. Yeah. And so this is this is what I like about the quotes. Sorry, you go ahead about <laughs> I, I interrupted you. No, I'm no, so that's that's totally valid. And the, the the part of I think it's utterly wise to listen to what other people have to say and to read and to study and all of that. But there's this place where we um it's like a trap that we never think we're we're the ones who could do that, right? Like the people we're quoting are just people too. And if we're doing a practice, in theory, we could be tapping that same wisdom and insight and inspiration and, you know, say the kinds of things like you said in your artist statement, you know? And so I I try to encourage people to also do that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I try to, you know, I do try to encourage that in my students at GW, like particularly, you know, all of the studies about women not speaking up in classrooms. And so reminding them, do not apologize for speaking, <laughs> you know, like um, all of that kind of stuff. So I see, I see what you're saying. I see what, I see the value in us all saying it our own selves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that other stuff is always there. 
I do love, though, that like the first thing that they tell you for this Vajrayana practice is in order to study ourselves, you have to study the philosophy, study mm-hmm. your, your, your books of wisdom or whatever it is. Read right. that. Yeah. Because that connects you to that spark that's in you. Yeah. 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 No, that's amazing practice. I'm I'm so grateful that I found this practice. Yeah. And you know, we, when we were talking about your um, your photography process, um, it it reminded me. See, I can quote myself now because I'm I wrote a book. So, <laughs> but in my <laughs> Yoga for Artists book, I I say that um, you know, yoga and art are really so closely related that. Yoga is a practice of bringing yourself into this state where inspiration is possible, where it's flowing, and then art is expressing what flows from having that kind of access. Mm. So they cross over at this wonderful point that allows you to get out of what what you so perfectly said, right? I, I try not to be thinking. (laughs) right you know exactly yeah Yeah. so what's up for you next what are you what are you working on your your classes in midterms right or somewhere near there Um, spring break it's almost spring break um during spring break i'm gonna go visit edinburgh university and i'll be on a panel there um about it's an intergenerational panel navigating the world past uh, bachelor of fine arts. Mm-hmm. So it'll be, it'll be a, a fun conversation. Right. And after, after the bachelors of fine arts, you become a yoga teacher. <laughs> Obviously <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's like flipping the, uh, the, the setup that you just talked about in terms of creating space with yoga in order to, express yes. <laughs> that space <laughs> yes well thank you so much for making this time to chat with me and fill me in on everything that you're doing absolutely thank you for inviting me uh-huh and do you get up to new york much occasionally not as much as i'd like to mm-hmm. but... yeah it's the same with me I, d- I don't get to dc much at all anymore uh, my family is uh, scattered a little bit so um it's uh I have less regular trips there, but hopefully we'll cross paths in person and uh, not just on FaceTime. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Kate. We'll we'll talk soon. Okay. Namaste. Namaste. That's today's episode of Peter's Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed my talk with Kate. I found it enlightening, like touching the sky. If you like Peter's podcast, please rate it on iTunes or on your app so that other people will find it. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Namaste. Namaste.